comes from Mark chapter 12. Uh, Beach Mission guys have been working through from about Mark chapter 11 through to about Mark chapter 14. And uh, Jake's doing this up uh, there a little bit later in the week. And uh, so we've been... Uh, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words they came to him and said teacher we know that you are a man of integrity you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth is right to pay the is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not should we pay or shouldn't we but Jesus knew their hypocrisy why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Yeah, um, so uh, good morning, by the way. Uh, it's quite a nice morning, actually. I thought I'd be a bit too hot being here um, with my nice clothes on, but fortunately, it's nice and cool inside. Um, so hopefully, I won't start sweating halfway through. Um, and if I stink at the end, then it's just because that I dressed up nicely for you. Uh, now, I was um, sort of, whenever I had a talk coming up, I sort of listened intently to a bunch of other preachers, and I was listening to Paul's talk. He gave a talk a few days ago, or yesterday rather, um, at SUFM. And I noticed that a lot of preachers start their sermons with a question. So I have a question for you guys today. And that question is, what is it that you dread? What, what is it that you're terrified of? What, what causes fear in your heart? Maybe it's, you know, long, dark hallways or lonely, empty houses. Uh, maybe it's the loss of a loved one that you fear. Maybe it's public speaking. What is it that you dread, truly dread? Uh, one thing that I've noticed in my admittedly short time on this earth is that one thing that most people dread is taxes. Whether it's like the financial burden and insecurity that, that they bring each year or just the fact that they are so damn boring. Like, you know, tax season comes around each year and you have to try and find all your receipts and you sort of like go onto that stupid website and it never works. And man, don't we all just dread doing our taxes? Um, I've been doing a bit of math teaching this year as part of my degree. And the one topic that I hate the most, the one topic that I just dread having to teach is taxes. You know, I, I don't like it. The kids don't like it. You tell them, oh, Today, guys, we're studying taxes, and they go, oh, sir, really? I'm sure many of the kids here can, like, empathize, you know? We all dread thinking about taxes. They're just so damn boring. Um, and so when you just read that passage, you know, paying taxes to Caesar, you're thinking, man, you're taking the Bible, which is already pretty boring at times, and you're getting taxes, and you're combining them. You know, this is going to be a dreadful sermon. Um, you know, what is this, like Leviticus or something? What, what, what is he doing here? And I'm here to tell you guys today that this is a sermon that has filled me with dread. A lot of fear. 
but it's not because of the taxes. So let's move through today. Um, let's break it down. There are going to be three sort of broad areas I'm going to work through today. I'm going to start off by looking at uh, working, working our way through this passage, verse by verse, um, doing some context, unpacking it. Then we're going to be looking at the bigger picture, taking a step back and looking at this passage um, yeah, as, a, as a whole. And finally, we're going to be narrowing down our search um, to one point, one point that we can work on in our Christian lives um, and strategies that we can use to uh, use this big picture that we've discovered. So come with me on a journey. Um, and we'll start, seeing as you guys haven't been working through Mark, with a bit of context. Uh, this, this passage comes just after the parable of the tenants. Um, now, I would hope that most of you are familiar with this parable. Uh, but in this parable, Jesus gives, uh, he, he's telling the Pharisees and he's calling them out for their poor leadership of the Jewish people, or the Jewish church. Um, and he calls them out on this and he promises that he's going to wipe them away and the Son of God will come and start a new church with him at the head. And the Pharisees aren't too pleased about this, right? You wouldn't be as well. Um, they don't take criticism very well. And they start looking for ways, as they've done before, of trapping Jesus and trying to expose him and bring an end to his ministry. So that's where we're at right now. Um, let's get started with verse 13 and 14. I'll just read it out again for you guys. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? So we have these two groups, um, and the best way of thinking of it is that these two groups are kind of like the Democrats and the Republicans, right? They're on the opposite ends of the political spectrum. You have the Pharisees, they're like the pro-Jewish people, um, the religious leaders. And you have the Herodians, and these guys are the pro-Roman people. And they've both teamed up to take down Jesus. This is not something they do normally. Uh, and as I was sort of working my way through the text, it was kind of a reminder that Christianity creates enemies, doesn't it? Christianity creates enemies. Whenever the message of truth and eternal life and salvation is preached, uh, there are always going to be times when Satan raises opposition, doesn't he? Um, attempts to silence us, attempts to bring an end to our ministry. This happens at Evans Head each year, it happens at youth group. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember that we are going to have opposition in our lives. We're going to have people who want to stop us from saying what we want to say. Anyway, moving forward, um, as we see in verse 14, the Pharisees ask Jesus a question and they ask him, should we pay the tax to Caesar? Um, should we pay him our money? Uh, and this is a, what I like to call a hostile question, if you know what I'm saying. Um, so for an example, I'm just going to paint a picture for you guys right now. Uh, you're, this is for the men in the room, by the way. Sorry, ladies. Uh, you're you're um, at your house getting ready for a night out, and you're putting on your blazer, you've got your, got your tie on, you've got your belt, some nice cologne, and then you hear from the next room uh, your wife call out. She goes, oh, honey, can you come in here for a sec? And so you walk next door. And she's wearing a dress, and she says to you, uh, hey, does my butt look big in this? Now, every male here will tell you that that question has no correct answers, does it? It's a hostile question. It's a, it's a question that no matter what you do, you're going to be in trouble. And that's what the Pharisees and Herodians have done here. No matter which way Jesus goes, 
with the Romans or with the Jewish, he's going to be in trouble with someone. They've set a trap for Jesus. They've come to test him and try and discredit him in the eyes of his followers. So what does Jesus do? Um, well, in verse 15, he asks for a coin, a denarius. That's a particular kind of coin. Uh, and then in verse 16, he gives his answer to them. Uh, so this is verse 16. They brought the coin and he asked, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So let's just pause a bit and have a look at Jesus' logic. Um, because we know Jesus has told us what belongs to Caesar, right? The coin belongs to Caesar. And then he tells us that we should give to God what is God's. But what is God's? Uh, well, by Jesus' logic, the, the coin has an image of Caesar on it, and so it, it is owed to Caesar. So it follows then that anything with the image of God must belong to God. And I hope you guys can see the clever illusion that Jesus has used here. He's used a, a reference to uh, Genesis 1, verse 27, when we are made in the image of God. What Jesus is saying here is that we owe God. Caesar has his taxes and God has his taxes. And what we owe God is our lives. We owe him our total devotion, our total worship, our total obedience and submission. Not just in small aspects of our lives, in all aspects of our lives. Sort of this image of the perfect Christian, right? This, this Christian who's so devoted to God, he's just given everything to God. All, everything that he's owed to God, he gives him. Total devotion, total worship. And that's the, the image that Jesus is getting at here. We as Christians need to, uh, are called to be totally devoted to God, aren't we? In all aspects of our lives. And this gets to what I feel is the big picture of this passage, the big picture. And that is that this passage is about integrity. What Mark has done here is that he has contrasted two different people. On one hand, we have Jesus, um, a man who claimed to have given God everything that God was owed, to have given him his total devotion, total worship, total praise. And the Pharisees test him on his devotion, don't they? They come to him and test him. And what do they find? They find that he is flawless. They can find no fault with him. And at the end, when they realize this, the Pharisees, and this is in verse 17, the Pharisees are amazed. They're amazed that this is a man who has given to God absolutely everything, who has totally given to God all that is his. On the other hand, we have the Pharisee. Uh, just like Jesus, the Pharisees claimed to be wholly devoted to God, didn't they? They sacrificed all the right sheep, prayed all the right prayers, gave all the right money, kept all the Ten Commandments. They did everything right. They, they considered themselves to be righteous before God, to have given everything they had to Him. But as Jesus points out in verse 15, they're hypocrites. They have flaws. And this is exemplified and symbolized for the drawing of the coin. You see, this coin that the Pharisees draw, it's a special type of coin. It's called a denarius, or denarius, I'm not really sure. Um, 
And this coin was a Roman coin. It could only be used to pay Rome's taxes and for Roman things. For everything else, they would use what's called a drachma. It's a Greek coin, I believe. And importantly, the drachma was the only coin that could be used at the temple to purchase sacrifices. So the question is then, why is it that this Pharisee has a Roman coin? This man is meant to be the epitome, the idealistic image of a Jewish man, wholly devoted to God. But when challenged, he reveals a denarius, a coin that is the very symbol of Roman oppression and Jewish slavery, a coin that cannot be used to glorify God, but only to glorify Caesar. When challenged, the Pharisee reveals a coin and is shown to be a hypocrite. He is shown to be flawed. At the start of my sermon, I asked you guys, what is it you dread, right? What is it that you fear the most? And as Christians, um, what we tend to do is we tend to build up a persona around ourselves, don't we? we? We want to be like Jesus, right? We want to have given everything to Him, all aspects of our lives. And we build up a shell or a veneer around ourselves so that on the outside, it looks like we have given Jesus our all. We've given God all that He is owed. But on the inside, we're just as flawed and hypocritical as this Pharisee, aren't we? And the thought of that veneer breaking, of that shell being shattered and thus being revealed as to what we truly are, that's terrifying. That scares me. I've given talks before at youth group and Bible study and at SUFM where I've you know, told the kids, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this sin. And I think to myself, man, I'm struggling with these sins. What if they find out? What if they find out that I am just as bad as they are? What will they think of me? Will they lose respect for me? What will they do? When our hidden sins are revealed, it is terrifying. It's terrifying. It fills us with dread. And it's especially terrifying because as Christians, we're sort of we're held to a higher standard, aren't we? We're sort of we're highly scrutinized by the world. And there's a good reason for this, by the way. Uh, if we Read 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. We see, uh, this is a quote by the way, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we're Christ's, an- Christ's ambassadors. We're meant to be the perfect reflection of his perfect kingdom and perfect self. Everyone else in the world, they're held to the average person's standard, right? Don't murder, don't steal, don't do too many drugs, don't get drunk too often. But we as Christians... We're held to perfection. We're held to the highest standard. And when we make these shells for ourselves, these, this veneer, and try and look like we are perfect, and then that's revealed as being hypocrisy, it causes damage to Christ's church, to its image. I think of the latest Royal Commission, right, into the Catholic Church, where years and years of child abuse and sexual abuse has come out. Think how much damage that has done to our church. How much shame it has brought in Jesus' name. When Christian hypocrisy is revealed, it damages the name of Jesus. You know, if you were to Google, why are Christians blank? Do you guys know what comes up first? 
So when I was preparing for this talk, right, I was getting pretty nervous. And the reason I was getting nervous is because this talk is all about hypocrisy. And I was realizing that, man, I am like the most hypocrite, like the biggest hypocrite ever. You know, surely Paul or Les or, or Bass or someone else is better than me can give this talk. But uh, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys that this is something that we all need to work on. We all need to push forward and strive towards this image that Jesus is painting here, the image of us as perfect ambassadors for the church. And not just perfect on the outside, but perfect on the inside as well. It's a huge task, right? Perfection, it's a, it's a massive thing to be working towards. But if we're to present Christ's church as a unified, perfect reflection, perfect ambassadors of his future kingdom, it's something that we need to be working towards. Um, now, obviously, this is not something that I can fix in one sermon. Um, and I've been talking to quite a few people about sort of ways that we can uh, work through this. And I've come up with three steps. Three steps on how we can strive towards this aim of moving away from the Pharisee towards Jesus, of presenting a unified, perfect ambassador church. Um, and the first step is we need to identify our denarii, our, de our denarises. Identify our flaws. Where are we sinning? Underneath our perfect exteriors that we've built for ourselves, where are our, what are our dark sides? This might be through fellow Christians keeping us accountable. Uh, it, it might be through conviction by the Holy Spirit. There's some young kids in the room, uh, and when I was a kid growing up, you know, all the pastors would say, oh, Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. And I was like, yeah, you know, I read my Bible. Um, but I've been really like, convicted this week about just how important the Bible is. Because like, when you, you, know, you can feel guilty about a sin, but when you open the Bible and you read God's Word and it calls out your sin, like, it hurts, doesn't it? It's a sharp sword that cuts into you. So step one, we need to identify our flaws. Step two, uh, and this is by far the scariest step, I was like, I was like, debating whether or not I should even put it in the talk, because if I put it in the talk, then I have to do it, and if I don't, I'm a hypocrite, which is like the whole purpose of the talk. Uh, but step two is, I'm just going to say it anyway, and then you know, have to do it. Step two is that we need to break down our outer shells. We need to break down this veneer of perfection that we have built around ourselves and the church. We need to expose our flaws. Now, not only does this aid in keeping ourselves accountable, um, and it aids ourselves in repenting. But ironically, when we voluntarily talk about our flaws and our sins, we actually build character, don't we? We don't lose it. Coming back to our Catholic Church example, imagine if 10 years ago the Catholic Church had come out and they'd admitted to all this stuff and they'd put in plans in place of, you know, we're going to do this now, we're going to do this, and this will never happen again, and we promise. That'd be a point of pride, wouldn't it, of the Christian Church? Not a point of shame. One aspect of leading that um, I'm always constantly told by people older than me is that being a, appearing as perfect is a bad thing. Um, the kids, not only will the kids find out eventually and then lose respect for you, but when we admit our flaws, we become more, we become more relatable. We, we can relate better with people when we admit that we aren't perfect ourselves. And the final step, um, step three, is that in all things we need to seek God. Uh, we are powerless, of course, to do anything on our own. We cannot, we cannot save ourselves. We can't change our lifestyle. We can't do anything without God. 
And so if we're to work towards this image of the perfect ambassadors for Christ, on the inside and out, we're going to need His help through prayer, petition, Bible reading. Let's do that, shall we? Um, we'll pray in a sec, and we're going to pray that we can work towards this devotion. We can work towards this image of Jesus who gives everything that is God's to Him, pays His entire tax to God. And my hope is that when Jesus comes again, uh, He'll find a church that is more, more perfect, I guess, more, a, better, a better reflection of the kingdom that He is going to bring. So let's pray, shall we? Uh, dear Lord, I, I thank You for Your Word, um, Your Word that convicts and Your Word that encourages. I thank You for Jesus, Lord, uh, that He has come to earth and provided the perfect example for us to live our lives by. Um, we are all sorry, Lord, uh, for our flaws, for our hypocrisies, um, and for all the times that we've sinned against you, Lord. I just pray that each and every one of us can just break down this image of perfection that we put up around ourselves, that we can move with your help towards a transparent, open church, and one that glorifies you and is a, is a reflection of your perfect kingdom to come. Amen.